listening to the official podcast of Oasis Community Church, where everybody's welcome, nobody's perfect, and anything's possible. If you'd like to learn more about Oasis, request prayer, or get in touch with a pastor, visit our website at oasischurch.org. Enjoy the podcast. Good morning, everyone. Like to hear that from the birds, and uh, also known as uh, Carol and the band. <laughs> But that was, uh, that was a delight for me. I really love it. I love the birds. I love that song. I love that passage from Ecclesiastes. And so as Carol referenced earlier, on the church calendar, this is still Christmas time. So I know that in our national calendar, we have a, um, this Christmas season that kind of builds up to Christmas Day, and that's kind of the climax of it. But on, uh, is that me? Somebody else. Um, But in the church calendar, Advent is the season before Christmas, and Christmas ends up being not just a day, but a season. We'll get it straight, thanks. Um, And so it starts on on the 25th, and it runs through January the 5th. And so you've heard of the 12 days of Christmas, right? Those are the 12 days, starting on Christmas Day and running through January the 5th. So this is the eighth day of Christmas, I don't know what you're supposed to get on the eighth day of Christmas based on the song. I haven't memorized the song. What's that? Eight maids of milking. Eight maids of milking. I'm not sure what that refers to. But uh, this is, this is that, that time. So Christmas time. When we think of time, or if we think of our national calendar, as you know, this is January 1. This is the first, first day of the national calendar. And time is an interesting concept. As it says in the passage from Ecclesiastes, um, that Ashley read for us, there seems to be this, um, this phenomenon, right, that we live in. But it's very difficult for us to actually occupy the present. Like some of us kind of live in the past. We're always looking behind us, maybe longing for a time that we've used to have, nostalgia can kind of set in, and we can long for the good old days, you know, when the kids were young or when we were young or whatever the case may be, right? And so we kind of get stuck in in the past. But others, right, kind of get stuck in a future, in a life that's not yet. They just are always longing for something more. Maybe some of you experience this, right? So before you can drive, all you can think of, well, when I can drive, right, I'm going to turn 16. Or you turn 16 and then, well, when, when I can live on my own or when I can get married, or when I can have children, or when I can, you know, get the next job, right? And our lives are kind of always out in front of us. If your life is always out in front of you, if you're always waiting for the next thing, you'll never actually live the life you have. It will always be beyond you, beyond your grasp. And it's just the same way, like if you're looking into the past, If you're always looking at the past, you'll never actually live in the present. Nostalgia is actually one of the most dangerous things for a culture or society. Because when we look at the past through the lens of nostalgia, we don't see it for its reality. We see a more ideal version of it. The quote-unquote good old days are the days that got us to where we are. And if you think where we are is in any way problematic then the good old days are partially the cause for it, right? They caused the creation of the current days. So 
let's, let's do a little thought experiment. If we were to get back to the good old days, what would happen is history would repeat itself and it would get us here again. And so the days of the past had their own problems. And for that matter, the future will also have its own problems. And if you can just practice some presence. Listen, throughout the long history of humanity, people have believed in some form of the divine, some form of God. And almost without exception, the thought about the gods or God was that um, God didn't like us very much and that we had to somehow defend ourselves against the God or against the gods. We had to appease the God. And so in ancient times, people offered human sacrifice. And you can even see this kind of in Scripture. There's a few references to it. And even Abraham's almost sacrifice of Isaac was in line with that really ancient practice of trying to appease the gods. Like, I'll kill my son, and then the god won't kill me. Like, that, that's part of what's going on there. And this shift away from human sacrifice to animal sacrifice is a positive step forward. <laughs> We're not killing people. We're not killing our children. We are going to kill an animal. But even that was just a partial revelation. Like, the way Scripture comes to us, it doesn't come to us as a complete whole in every step. It has a beginning, a middle, and an end. And if we receive it as such, we need to keep reading. If you, Any one dot on the line is not the line itself. You need to see the whole. And the whole ends in Jesus. Jesus is the revelation of who God is. If you want to know who God is, if you want to know what God is like, then you have to look at Jesus. Jesus is where it was all headed or the way Paul says it in Romans, is that Christ is the end of the law. Almost fell there. Christ is the end of the law. Like, Christ is where it was headed. It was its goal. Like, the whole purpose of it was to get us there. That's the full counsel of the text. And so, here we are, in time. This thing that God has created. We have a past, and we have a future, but if we can live in the present, we can be kind of with God. And there are various ways that, that Christians and people of other faiths have tried to practice this at times. Like silence and solitude, contemplation and meditation are just practices. I mean, the, the most traditional word for it is prayer. Like when you pray, when you're either listening to God or you're speaking to God, you're being present, you're being aware of God's presence, right? That, that is a way of practicing the present. God is always <laughs> present. He is always with us. The psalm that Sarah read for us is our call to worship, Psalm 8, is a beautiful one. It talks about the glory and the grandeur of all creation, and then it asks this really interesting question. What is a human being that God is so mindful of us? Right? There's been various songs, there have been various TV shows that have tried to express this, right? There was a, a funny one with John, um, what's his name? Lithgow? Lithgow, right? Several years ago, 
maybe more than several years, called Third Rock from the Sun. It was really, it was really funny, right? But it's a funny thing, right? There's this big ball of gas that's burning millions of miles away, right, as the wisdom of the great philosopher Pumbaa told us about the stars. There's this big ball of gas. It's burning millions of miles away. And then there's this big couple of big rocks that actually circle around it. And they are flying through space. And on one of these rocks, there's these little specks of stardust that live for a fairly short time, and we call them human beings. <laughs> so here, you know, here we are. This is our time. What is it about us that God would be concerned for us? This is what the psalmist says. And this is what Ecclesiastes, I think, is saying. There's, there is a time. There's a time for this, and there's a time for that. But to make our time meaningful... For us to understand how our time works, we have to look towards, I think, keeping in mind the past, look toward the future and see what, where this story is going, what God is doing. Actually, before we get there, I wanted to read, this is from Jan Richardson. She's an author that I've just recently run into. This is from her work called Night Visions. And when I read this text for today, the Ecclesiastes text, which the birds kind of memorialized for us in their song, it made me think of, of this passage from Jan's book. This is, her, again, her work, Night Visions. Guardian of the seasons, she's speaking about God. Guardian of the seasons, keeper of every time, tune us to your rhythms that we may know the occasion for stillness and the moment of action. May we be so prepared, so aware, so awakened in our waiting that when you prompt us into motion, our hands may be your hands and our purposes your own. That's what I want. It's what I want for this new year. It's what I want for my life. I want to be present to God. I want to be aware that God is there. And I, I want that when it's time to speak or when it's time to act, that I'm so in tune with the rhythm of God that my words are his words and my actions are his actions. As for the question, what is a human? This is, a, this is another quote. This comes from Henry Nouwen's book. Um, he says this, Imagine the words of God. So this is now God speaking about you. I know, thank you for coming. I know it's, you all might have had late nights last night, and you're like, you want to start the year off right, you know, January 1, first Sunday, I'm going to go to church, and here you are, you've done it. So far, so good. You've made it to every Sunday. I'm really proud of you. <laughs> but whether you're here or whether you're on the live stream or if you're watching this and recording, I want you to hear these words that, that Father uh, Henry wrote as words for you. You are my beloved. God says, I have called you by name from the very beginning. You are mine and I am yours. You are my beloved and on you my favor rests. I have molded you in the depths of the earth and knitted you together in your mother's womb. I have carved you in the palms of my hand and hidden you in the shadow of my embrace. I look at you with my infinite tenderness and care for you with a care more intimate than that of a mother for her child. 
I have counted every hair on your head and guided you at every step. Wherever you go, I go with you. And wherever you rest, I keep watch. I will give you food that will satisfy all your hunger and drink that will quench all your thirst. I will not hide my face from you. You know me as your own, as I know you as my own. You belong to me. I am your father, your mother, your brother, your sister, your lover, your spouse, yes, even your child. Wherever you are, I will be. Nothing will ever separate us. We are one. This is, this is what I want you to know, is that there's nothing to fear in God. Like, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It's not the end of it. It's might have been where we started, but it's not where we end. We start with all that sacrifice stuff, but we get to Hebrews, and we're told no sacrifice remains, for Christ has come. He has come, and he has not only um, dealt the blow to sin and death, but he has shown us who God really is. St. Anthony would say, I no longer fear God. I love him. On the, we just had a little family vacation, and amongst the things we did, because it was a very long drive, there were seven of us in a minivan, and there were three dogs, and there was also some kind of lizard. Uh, I don't know if it was a gecko or some kind of some horn-tailed, something or another. Does anybody know? What kind of lizard is it? It's a gecko? All right, little little guy about that big. So seven people, three dogs, and a lizard for 12 hours. I know. It's amazing that my sanity is what it is, right? So besides lots of music and lots of laughter, we listened um, to The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe on audio, whatever. I almost said audio cassette. (laughs) It wasn't a cassette. But as we listen to it, it's a wonderful story. I really do love it. And there's something that I've actually quoted it quite a bit in my life, but, but I, I've come to believe that it's, it's wrong. There's a point at which Mr. and Mrs. Beaver are talking to the children, to, to Peter and to Susan and to Lucy and to uh, Edward, and they're telling them about Aslan the lion. And... Lucy says, oh, is he safe? She seems fearful about everything that Mrs. Beaver has said. And so she asked the question again, is he safe? And Mr. Beaver said, were you not even listening to Mrs. Beaver? No, he's not safe, but he's good. And that used to kind of give me some comfort. I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about the awesomeness and the kind of the power of Christ, because Aslan is a an obvious kind of uh, allegory for Christ. But I think, I think that's a wrong way to think about it. The safest and maybe the only safe human ever was Jesus. He is, not only is he good, but he is ultimately safe. He is so safe because he's the very lover of your soul. He, he, he knows you, and he is with you, and he cares for you. You don't have to appease him in any way. There's nothing that you need to do in order to earn his love or his affection or his devotion. Even, again, to quote Paul again, even while we were yet enemies, Christ died for us. 
So let's imagine we are all enemies of God, that we hate God. Let's imagine we don't believe in God, that we think it's just superstition. You know what God would do for those who disregard God? What God would do for those who hate God? What God would do for those who want to kill God? God would die for them. He is ultimately safe. The safest of all. Because with all of his greatness, with all of his awesomeness, he has considered us humans. And he has loved us. Now, where does this all end? There's a text from Revelation that's part of the lectionary today. That's, it's a, the last bit of the book of Revelation. There's a new heaven and there's a new earth and the new Jerusalem is, is coming down. And it's the last kind of words of God. A voice comes from the throne and it says, Behold, or look, pay attention, I make all things new. Now, I think it's incredibly important to note that he doesn't say, I make all new things. God doesn't scrap the past and start over. God takes the past and he makes it new. He doesn't say, I make all new things. He says, I make all things new. Making all things new is something that maybe only God can do because we've all come through another year and there's been some highs and there's been some lows. There's been some good times. There's been some hard times. There have been things that have been easy. There have been things that have been very difficult. And a lot of that is we, we, we can be joyful about or we can, we can suffer from. But a loss is one of our greatest teachers. And God can take whatever those hard times are and he can make something new out of it. Something good out of it. And that, that brings us now to these kind of, this kind of hope for the future. Right? We pray it all the time. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And I think that's exactly, that, again, that has to do with time, right? We're, we're in the present we're hoping for a different future. We're praying that the very coming of God will transform the present into this new kind of ideal future. The last passage of scripture that's kind of associated with today is from um, Matthew chapter 25. It too is this kind of look towards the end, kind of a time where things get judged. It mentions a group of sheep and a group of goats both of whom seem to be incredibly unaware, right? The goats are unaware that they have seen Christ in these kind of difficult situations and have not responded the way they should have. And the sheep apparently have responded the way they're supposed to respond, but they didn't realize that, that Christ was there either. They also asked the question, when did we do this for you, Lord? And there, there are six categories. Um, I love talking about it. It's the hungry when I was hungry, you fed me, Jesus says. The thirsty, there's a third category there. I'm going to skip it for a second. Then and the fourth one was the sick, right? 
um, or excuse me, the naked that are clothed. The fifth is the sick that are cared for. And the, the sixth one is the prisoner that is um, visited. A couple of things to note. One is they seem to be um, a decreasing order of our capacity to make a difference. Right? So the hungry and thirsty at one end, somebody's hungry or thirsty, it seems like we can give them some food and can give them some drink. And we've kind of at least temporarily solved that issue. But once we move on, once the time, when it says for the sick, it doesn't say, I was sick and you healed me. It says, I was sick and you cared for me. I think that's a really important point. And then lastly, I was in prison and you came to visit me. It doesn't say I was in prison and you broke me out. <laughs> right? It wasn't saying in prison, I was in prison and, and you helped me get liberated or set me free. You just came to visit me. I think that too is just this practice of presence. So the hungry, the thirsty, this one that I've been skipping, the naked, the sick, and the prisoner. The one that I skipped, I skipped on purpose. I used to ask students, and you know, I've been teaching for a long time, uh, a little sidebar here. Students do seem to be a little less aware of Scripture than they used to be. I'm not sure what that, that means. So it says something about our churches. I need to make sure talking with Lexus and Caleb and and um, talking with you all, with your own children, that, that the scriptures and their stories are, are being heard and told and known. But I can't tell you how many times in, in front of people who I think are pretty familiar with scripture, and you talk about the sheep and the goats at the end of Matthew's gospel, and they can kind of name them, right? And they seem to always be able to name the hungry or the thirsty. They can, they can name the naked, the sick, and the prisoner, but it is so common, or it has been anyway, for all these years, I've been asking this question, you know, can you name these kind of marginalized groups? And everyone always forgets that third one. It's the stranger. The stranger. Being present with a stranger is not the easiest thing. We even have a term for it, awkward silence, right? When silence is awkward. We don't, we don't know how to engage the stranger. But we need, to engage, we need to learn to kind of engage the stranger the same way that it becomes evident how we should engage the hungry, right? You feed them. And engage the thirsty. You give them something to drink. Engage the naked. You give them something to wear. Engage the sick. You give them care, attention, medicine. Engage the prisoner. You visit them. We have to learn to engage the stranger so that our, our lives that we live in this time become lives that um, reflect and embody, right, the life of Christ. I want to return here at the end to more words, a few more words of Jan Richardson. This is another passage from her book, Wisdom's Path. It says, she says this, what we choose changes us. Who we love transforms us. How we create remakes us. Where we live reshapes us. So in all our choosing, our God makes us wise. In all our loving, our Christ makes us bold. In all our creating, our spirit gives us courage 
in all our living, may we become whole. And may the blessing of God, who is the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, be upon us now and forever. We hope you were blessed by today's podcast. If you liked what you heard and want to support us, you can do so by subscribing wherever you listen to your podcasts. You can leave us a review on iTunes, and if you want to contribute to Oasis financially, you can go to oasischurch.org. May the Lord bless you and keep you, and may God's face shine upon you and give you peace. Amen.